0: Well, they were all amazed besides one person. See, see one person actually was quite afraid. After this, this teaching in the synagogue, Jesus goes home or goes to Simon's mother-in-law's house to, to have some lunch and they, they see that, that she is, is incredibly ill. So they plead with Jesus to, to heal her. And then later in the evening, Jesus being so compassionate, it, this passage tells us that all who, who came to, to him in that town that were sick were left healed. All of them. But we see something again. See, see Jesus also, um, because of uh, the healings that he was doing, he, he drove in the crazies out of the woodwork. See, more demon-possessed people came up to him. And then Luke finishes this passage. He, he wants us to, to know exactly what the ministry of Jesus actually is. Just in case if our mind goes to, well, Jesus' ministry is just that of one of healing and casting out demons. Luke finishes this passage by filling us in that Jesus' ministry actually is to proclaim the good news. I mean, this passage is just rich and incredible. And so we come to verse 31, and it says this. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out to every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her immediately and she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons came out of many crying You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judah, Judea. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would allow us to understand better this passage. Not that we would manipulate it into the way that we want it to say, but, but that we would, we would see what you have taught us through this passage. Father, please soften our hearts. Give us a spirit of revelation and wisdom into the Holy One. I ask, I, I ask and, and plead with you this morning, Father, that you would allow your children. To be encouraged and edified and, and even convicted if need be. That you would you would draw out the idols in our hearts so that when we leave here today, we can leave marveling at your son Jesus all the more, that we can leave treasuring your son Jesus all the more. Father, I, I also ask that you would. You would reveal your free grace to those who do not know it. That they would see the depths of their heart and how sinful it actually is. But they would see that your grace is greater than all our sin. I pray this in your son Jesus name who is worthy to be praised. Amen. I remember it like it was last Sunday, although it couldn't have been last Sunday because I was here. I was 22 years old. I was sitting at our new church that Charisse and I just started attending in in Louisville, Kentucky. There was a guest preacher that morning. And it was one of those sermons that was life-altering for me. The sermon was on Jude, verses 24 and 25, the, the beginning of that passage. I can remember it so clearly how he spoke it. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. I still remember the, the illustration, the sermon illustration that he used as the illustration was one of a, a father and a child walking. The illustration was where the the child was gripping on to the father's hand but kept on stumbling and falling and so the father reached down and grabbed his hand and said, son, let me hang on to your hand. See, this particular sermon was on the assurance of salvation that the believer can have. See, it wasn't so much that the The person who was preaching it made a difference, but the authority with which he preached. I wonder if you have ever been in a sermon where it's just electrifying. A type of of sermon where the preacher is on fire, both in accuracy in the text and passion in preaching. The type of of sermon that's 45 minutes, but yet you walk away saying, wow, that was one of the quickest sermons of my life because it was so captivating. See, this is what I felt after that sermon. But it wasn't necessarily because of how he preached, it was the authority that he preached with. And it wasn't even that he possessed the authority, but that he pointed to the one who possessed the authority and preached from the Bible, which has authority. You see, at the end of the day, all he was preaching was that the one who has authority to save sinners has authority to keep sinners from stumbling and has authority to present them as blameless. What we see in our passage today is, is quite interesting. Why is it so interesting? See, it's, it's interesting because there are so many great truths, but there's also a problem within our, our passage. See, the people recognized Jesus' words had authority. They could see that his teaching had authority, and they could see that his words by saying, You are healed, had authority, and come out of that man had authority. But what we don't see them do is ever ask the question how did he have this authority? See, our passage this morning shows us that Jesus' authority leads to amazement, fear, and changed lives. But when we come to this passage, we need to dig deeper. And so we start with the authority... In Jesus' teaching, as we come to verses 31 through 32, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word-possessed authority. See, Luke right here is setting the stage for us. Because if we do not understand the authority that Jesus actually possesses, then we will certainly not understand what is to come after this. So we have to ask the question, why were they astonished? And what were they astonished at? Well, they were astonished at Jesus' teaching What about Jesus' teaching were they astonished from? Well, the authority. The authority that Jesus had behind his teaching. You see, Jesus, he never taught what ifs or maybes. Did you know that? When Jesus taught, Jesus' authority came from the certainty he had in what he knew and what he was teaching. So when Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority because he wasn't just presuming he knew it. No, he actually knew it. And so this confidence, this authority attracts people, it engages people. Maybe Jesus preached with passion or or zeal. Maybe he was the best speaker or orator in that time. Or maybe he once never rose his voice while he was teaching other than flipping tables. I mean, Jesus' authority came with certainty. Why would he need to raise his voice or be passionate? So we ask the question then, how much authority did Jesus' teaching have? Well, Mark actually tells us in Mark 1 that his teaching possessed so much authority that people were recognizing that this carpenter was kind of outshining the scribes and the Pharisees who were supposed to know their stuff. They were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he spoke like not like, he, he spoke as one who had authority. Not like the scribes is what Mark tells us in the gospel that he wrote. Jesus taught with authority because he had confidence in what he taught. He did not hypothesize like the Pharisees or the scribes teaching what ifs or maybes or this could possibly mean that. Oh no, see, this man spoke with authority. When Jesus spoke, let me put it in the most simple terms possible. When Jesus spoke, people shut up and listened. You see, growing up, I wasn't too much of a disobedient child. I say too much because, you know, I definitely had my my days. But for the most part, I listened and, and obeyed. However, when I was I was acting like a fool, it didn't matter if my mom and dad were in the other room, if I was across the street or across the town, if I heard three words, if I had three words that, that possessed this type of authority, do you know what I did? I shut up and listened. When my mom and dad would say, Max Jordan Catsback, there was authority behind those words. And I knew that whatever came next, I better be quiet and listen or else the outcome is going to be even more not in my favor. And all of you who have children or who have had children that lived with you know what I'm talking about because you've probably used that in senior your children. Uh, shut up and listen when you say the full names. Or maybe you're thinking of when you were a child and that happened. See, there's, there's something though different between the authority that my parents possessed when they said that. Compared to what Jesus said and taught. All of Jesus' words were captivating. Full of assurance in what he taught and said never questioning or going back and saying, I messed up there, I need to correct myself. You see, I wonder just how aware we are of the type of authority that Jesus actually has. Coming out on the other side of Of the cross, we we actually get the Word of God to show us Jesus' authority so we could turn to pages and see how, when Jesus spoke to rebuke the the weather, that the waves and wind on the sea died down, or or that when people were were hungry, he looked out at them and had compassion and took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people with it. Or that when his friend Lazarus had died, he spoke two words. Well, three. Lazarus, come out. And somebody who had been dead for four days rose. Jesus' teaching possessed authority like no one has ever seen or heard. Do you know that your Savior has this type of authority? Do you know that your King is the one who has this type of authority? Right before Jesus left and ascended to heaven, he he told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And then the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that because Jesus possesses this type of authority, one day every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Oh, I I hope that this can, can be treasured in our hearts and tucked away as an encouragement so that when we meet trials of various kinds, we can remind ourselves that our Savior has all authority. And so what Luke does next is he gives us a, a couple of glimpses of Jesus' authority because something actually quite interesting happens while Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. See, everybody noticed that Jesus' teaching has authority. And the passage tells us that they were amazed. All but one person was amazed as we read in verse 33. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. As Jesus is is teaching. And as the people in the synagogue are astonished, this this demon-possessed man full of fear cries out. But what does he cry out? What have you to do with us, Jesus? Jesus? What have you to do with us, Jesus, is what this man cries out. Is it time? Is it time, Jesus? Just just let us know. Is it time? Time for what? Time for us to be destroyed, this demon-possessed man says. Even the demons know Jesus and shudder. Not only do they shudder, but they can acknowledge who Jesus is, the Holy One of God, which also can be translated as Christ or Messiah. See, this man knew what his outcome is. He knows what his outcome is and Wants to know if Jesus is come to destroy him right now. He knows the outcome that that Jesus will be victorious. And so we see two things happening here. Is that Jesus has complete authority over the unclean spirits. As he casts out this spirit but he has so much and total authority over unclean spirits that he casts them out and this man who was indwelt by this unclean spirit is not hurt. There's not one scratch on him which shows us our Savior's compassion towards his creation. How do the people respond when they see this though? do they respond to what this demon says or what Jesus does? Well, in verse 36 and 37, we, we see, and they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The people totally bypassed that, that this, this demon-possessed man stands up in the middle of this service and shouts out, What have you to do with us, Jesus? The Holy One of God. And, and what these people marvel at is that Jesus cast out this demon. They take no time to ponder the fact what it could mean that Jesus could be the Holy One of God. Instead, they're completely amazed that Jesus could even cast out a demon. Now, Jesus always casts out demons before they say his name for two reasons. Because it wasn't time for the people to know who he was. And despite what people say, good press isn't actually good press. Or bad press isn't good press. There we go. (laughs) Bad press is actually bad press. And we'll get into that a little later. But we we see that Jesus' authority doesn't stop here. that, That Luke is continuing to draw out just who this Savior is. We come to verses 38 through 41. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the, the sun was setting all those who had Any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. And demons also came out of many crying. You are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was Christ starting in in verse 38 this is where the the Baptists get the great doctrine of the potluck (laughs) see it was custom during Jewish times that on the Sabbath after the synagogue they would go home and have a meal right here here it is See we we are us Baptists are pretty theologically sound especially when it comes to the potluck. Jesus did it. But what we see here is that when Jesus arrives, Simon's mother-in-law is, is actually very ill and and Luke being a doctor doesn't put it lightly for us here. Because Luke is a physician, he could have used okay it was a it was a minor cold. It was it wasn't that bad. It was just a tickle in, in her throat. But what Dr. Luke is, is telling us here is that Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. High enough where they appealed to Jesus asking him to make her well. And so, what do we see Jesus do? Jesus moved with compassion, rebukes the sickness. Jesus did not do a Mr. Miyagi warming up the hands, putting it over the body to heal Danielson. No, Jesus spoke. He rebuked this fever and when he rebuked it, Simon's mother-in-law went from sickness to service as she stood up and started waiting and serving on her guests. You see what hap- what's happening here is that What Luke is showing us and what Jesus is doing is continuing to amplify just how much authority he possesses. Here's a woman who who is on her, her deathbed. And all Jesus has to do is speak and the fever leaves her body and she gets up to serve. But we don't see Jesus' compassion stop there. We actually see his compassion start there. As in the evening, what's, what's happening is now people throughout all of Capernaum are coming to Simon, Simon's mother-in-law's house to be healed. And our, our passage tells us one of the most incredible things that we could see right here. Not one person, not one person was turned away from Jesus who did not get healed. All who went to Jesus were healed that night. He did not send one person away saying, you know, I still kind of feel a fever. My stomach still hurts a little bit. I still have that tickle in my throat. All who came to him left satisfied. But because of what was happening here, we also see people who were possessed with unclean spirits coming out of the woodwork, as it, as it says. And demons also came out of many. Many people were, were healed. Many people had demons cast out of them. You see, I, I said earlier that bad publicity is not actually good publicity. It's, it's bad. And so as the demons are coming forward and, and they're trying to shout out Jesus' name, the, the, the Son of God, they're trying to recognize him. We might ask the question, well, what happens if Jesus would have just let them acknowledge him? In our passage earlier, it shows us that that the people in the synagogue had recognized that that man had an unclean spirit. So, recognizing that people had unclean spirits in them was a very common thing. So, if Jesus would have allowed them to acknowledge that He was the Son of God, would He have a pretty high reputation? See, then the Pharisees that accuse Jesus of being the prince of demons might actually have a case against him if Jesus was allowing them to speak His name. What Jesus is doing is quickly and sharply casting out these demons, so that he does not get the bad publicity. What Jesus is doing is showing his compassion and kindness to his creation. In the movie, The American Gospel, if you have not watched that movie, I will say it again two times so that way you can write it down and watch it. It's called The American Gospel. And The American Gospel is a fantastic documentary to watch. In part of this documentary, a man named Justin Peterson, who has a disability from his youth, um, he, he has to have a, a walker in order to walk. I can't remember off the top of my head what he actually had, but, but he goes around and he interviews people at Healing Crusades. Not that he, he believes in Healing Crusades, but because what he wants to do is, is uncover the falsehood that Healing Crusades have. And he said he would go there to try to interview those that were in charge and he would leave crushed as the people who would need the healing would be in the back forgotten about. He said only those that had internal Problems like headaches or back pains or maybe a, a sprained ankle or something that wasn't physically on the outside. Only they would be brought up to the stage in order to be healed. While, and I quote, mothers with babies on ventilators would be in the back just hoping that this so-called faith healer would come to them and heal their child who was about to die. But we see in our passage something completely different about Jesus. We see that Jesus did not turn one person away. He healed all of them. He cast out every single demon. While I was preparing for this passage, I started thinking about it like this. I wonder if people in Capernaum were starting to have kind of like a competition. John down the road was saying, oh, you know what? I, I, I've got food poisoning. Somebody said, well, Jesus is healing people. And he goes and he's healed and he, he goes back and he's like, ah, oh, but, but there's, there's Peter on the other side. I wonder if Jesus has the power and authority to, to heal his burst appendix. There was nothing too small nor too big that Jesus could not heal. And like wise to demons, there was not one demon who challenged Jesus and Jesus said, I just can't do it. Every single disease was healed and every demon was cast out. This is the authority of our Savior Jesus. But this is where we now need to ask the question. Why did Jesus then leave us? Why didn't Jesus just stay back and just continue to heal everyone and continue to give food to everyone and and continue to do all of those things that we're seeing in this passage. Well, in case we get it twisted and believe that Jesus just came to heal and cast out demons, Luke tells us why Jesus left. Verses 42 through 44, And when it was day he departed, and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent. This is what I was sent for. It's this purpose. Night came in the morning Rose the, the morning sun rose, and Mark gives us a, a clearer picture in in his gospel, and he, he actually tells us that that Jesus rose early, went to a desolate place so that he could pray and and then Luke fills in this kind of part for us they they came to Jesus wanting more things from Jesus I mean wouldn't you want somebody who was physically healing and casting out demons to stick around? I mean, if I'm just being honest, if if there was somebody in Appleton who was really doing that and had that type of authority and power, wouldn't you want them to stay in Appleton? I mean, could you imagine the, the thoughts of these people as just in a matter of 24 hours, the economy boosts because everyone's able to work? You don't have to worry about your, your, your child's disease because they're okay now, so you don't have to work overtime or, or anything like that. Like, Jesus was healing everyone. There was a revival happening in this town. Well, a, a physical, an earthly revival. And so Jesus tells them Look, I understand. But I have not come here to just be a healer. I've not come here to just cast out demons. Jesus says, I must. Not I should. Not I have to. But he says, I must preach the good news of The kingdom. What Jesus is telling them is, I haven't come to give this world momentary healing. What I have done is, I've come to bring eternal healing. It's like when a bone breaks. If the bone does not heal properly... What the doctor usually suggests, because there will be long-term complications if a bone doesn't heal properly in in your body, what the doctor suggests is re-breaking the bone so that way they can set the bone in the proper place. This is exactly what Jesus has come to do. We will face afflictions and trials of various kinds. But Jesus has not come to merely just give us momentary relief, but eternal relief. This is this is one thing that just makes me so incredibly sick and and angry about the the healing movement. Is, is the movement, it tells hurting, sick, and vulnerable people that if they just give their money to this ministry or, or they pray this prayer with enough faith, then all of their problems are just going to go away. No gospel ever preached. No kingdom ever proclaimed. Just a very me-centric, selfism religion. If you ever hear somebody tell you that they have the the gift of of healing, then you need to ask them why they aren't in the hospital. If you ever have somebody tell you that that your prayer wasn't answered because you just didn't have enough faith, then you need to ask them, well, then Paul must have not have had enough faith because he prayed three times and God said that he wasn't going to take away his ailment. I mean, when we buy in and let people buy into this false religion, this false ideology, what we're doing is setting them up for a massive failure. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I firmly believe that God still works in miracles, that he can still heal people. But we need to know that God is completely in control And whether we see that miracle or not, he still is in complete control. Jesus didn't come to just heal diseases and flus and colds and coughs, he came to heal hearts. And so I'd like to leave us with just a couple of thoughts. And then I'm going to pray. Believe it or not, I think the demons in here actually teach us the most. If you're in here and and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is just my, my plea to you. And what I'm seeing in this passage is that... Jesus' greatest enemies acknowledge who He is. They acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. They, they acknowledge that Jesus is the Holy One of God who can destroy them. And so I'm, I'm pleading and asking you to think and read and, and see that if Jesus' greatest enemies... Know this about Jesus. What is preventing you from believing that Jesus is the Savior? The demon asks, is it time? Time to destroy us? I must warn you. It is a fool's thing to not contemplate the things of God. Because judgment and wrath are sure to come. And if you do not put your faith in Jesus. You will certainly face his righteous judgment and wrath. But there's good news in this passage. The unclean spirits know their outcome. They know that Jesus has come to destroy them. But the word of God tells us. That he has come to have compassion on his creation. Love the song that we sung this morning. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of my sin. It's freely bestowed on all who believe. And so I'm, I'm pleading and asking you where, where the demons cannot repent and believe. I'm, I'm asking that today you would repent and believe that Jesus has died for your sins to create and bring back reconciliation with himself. This is the good news that has been extended to you. It's free. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to work hard for it. We're just told to look. Look and believe. And be saved. That's what the prophet Isaiah says. And so my second thought is then this. To my brothers and sisters in here. The demons loudly... And boldly proclaim Jesus as the Son of God? Do we? I really want us to think about that. Are we willing to let unclean spirits show us up in being more bold... In proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, are we going to let the unclean spirits, the the demons, the, the prince of the power of the darkness be more bold than us? Yes, we are to love others by our actions, but we are also to love others by our words. We must proclaim this good news. This good news of the kingdom of God loudly and boldly and happily. Because if God is for us, who could possibly be against us? Let's pray. Father, would you please Pierce our hearts. Allow your word to become more of a rela- reality for us. Please send your Holy Spirit here to richly indwell us to reach Appleton, the Fox Valley, the, the ends of the earth. Use this church right here to reach our neighborhood, to our family. Jesus, we we thank you for dying for our sins, taking a punishment and burden that was ours, defeating death, and ascending and sitting on the throne at your Father's right hand. We pray this in your name because you are worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Amen.